Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Finding My Voice. And this is the first one I might uh, actually flag as not completely child-friendly. Or maybe the second, I can't remember now. Um, but I am going to talk about a few uh, sexual things this time. Not, not explicit, but I don't know, maybe the internet will think it is. Because um, an old friend of mine, who I think is non-binary... Um, I helped them a while back try to like explore themselves and it's it's fine it's going it's going good they're they're clearly not cis I think they're closer to the masculine side of the spectrum but I'm not gonna make any you know uh, assertments that is not for me to do uh, but they have they contacted me the other day where we haven't spoken in a long time and wanted to ask me like how to label themselves sexually. Which is like, well, my suggestion, like they they had like an issue with that because uh, before they realized they weren't completely female, um, they considered themselves a lesbian. Then it seemed they were not a cis woman and explored the life of a trans man and felt a lot happier that way than, than living as a cis woman. And... Uh, they said that, wow, great, now I'm part of two minorities, uh, lesbians and trans men. And I was like, no, you're not, because if you're into women and you're a man, sorry, you're straight as a light post. And that was fun, like watching them do that mental gymnastics, and like, oh my god. Uh, turns out they might not, they're not fully a trans man, they are somewhat non-binary in exactly where they are on spectrum. I don't know. Um, that's not for me to say, as I mentioned. But that's not what this episode's going to be about. Um, it's about, like, feelings and sexuality having to do with me coming out as trans and me transitioning. Because it is a wild ride. The suggestion I ended up uh, giving them was to not think of sexuality as something to label because both gender and sexuality are spectrums or spectra. Spectra is plural, yeah. <laughs> and see, what I mean here is, like, we've learned now that gender is much more complicated than man-woman. So homosexual, uh, heterosexual are very limiting terms. You see, like, a man, a cis man, who likes a trans woman, likes women and is therefore straight. But not all trans women have all the surgeries, of course. So there could be a trans woman with a penis and a man, a cis man who loves her can still be straight. However, um, he might not be straight. It's complicated. It depends on what part of a person you like because no, like, gender and sex is much more than genitalia. Like if you take what the manliest of trans men, looks completely like a cis man, bald, beard, muscular, dark, deep, deep booming voice but has a vagina so a cis woman who looks at the person and, and swoons and goes woo hoo hoo she is straight but then again uh, the trans man does not have a penis um, maybe maybe a lesbian would like that trans man because she's into vagina and you see how complicated this gets like your attraction if, you're, if your attraction to someone is only about genitalia, then you are a deeply disturbing person. You love someone for their mind, and 
you know, like their way about themselves and mannerisms. And yes, you can be attracted to one gender and not the other, and or not others, it's not just two. But it cannot be that simple. Like, there are certain parts that might be coded masculine, certain parts that are coded feminine. Do you take in both, or do you try and ignore the other ones? Like, how does this work? You cannot limit yourself to just being attracted to genitals. That's just creepy. There's a lot about a person you're attracted to and you fall in love with. So my advice about the labels of sexuality is just don't. Don't. Just, if, if you're into someone, great, you're into them. Doesn't matter how they identify or you identify them. If you're into them, give it, and they're into you, and you're two consenting adults, great, have at it, and have a great time together. You don't need the labels. I find that those labels are just limiting. If you're anything other than cis-heteronormative, you're limiting yourself. And I think most people aren't completely cis-heteronormative. They squeeze into that box for simplicity, and you might be missing out on some wonderful people in your life. So yeah, that was my suggestion. Do not... Like, I know that's not totally helpful. They wanted a label, and they just said, if you want a label from me, I'm not going to be able to. I have no idea. Um, because, first of all, the spectrum thing. And then the other thing is, I am not a very sexual person. Not It's not, it's not idealistic, but I've had very few sexual encounters in my life. And that is simply because I am so dysphoric. Any kind of physical sexual arousal causes huge distress in me. Because arousal triggers my dysphoria, and I'm hope that I'm hoping that's going to get better after I get some surgeries, and you know, I no longer get that triggered. I may I might have a chance at a more physical love life, uh, but for me, I just have to wait until my government thinks I'm worthy of human rights and help me, because I can't afford those surgeries on my own. It, it, this is not supposed to be a pity party, but yeah, I was explaining why I am not sexual. It's not because I think, you know, sex after marriage or I think it's not because I think sex is immoral it's just that arousal distresses me for now and I hope that I hope that changes sometime because I would like a more of a sex life uh, and the other cool thing about, <laughs> about discovering a sex life because I do have attraction I am attracted to people I just can't go that extra mile of, of being physical with them because of dysphoria and it's fun because as I was growing up and trying to force myself, I tried it was po- I thought I thought self conversion therapy was possible, so I tried to convince myself that I was cis heteronormative uh, male, which obviously didn't work. But for years I tried and tried and tried, and I kind of forced myself into uh, feeling lustful when considering and looking at the body of femininely coded uh, people, the bodies of femininely coded people. And it, it kind of worked uh, until I realized later that it didn't really. Like when I started living as myself, I started that, I started realizing that men are kind of hot. <laughs> Some men are really kind of hot. Oh no. <laughs> Um, and I also realized when thinking back at my attractions to, to feminine decoded people, wasn't actually lust at all. That was envy. 
Yeah, I could look at body parts and think, yeah, but not because I wanted to be with them, but because I wanted to be them. So, when I started being honest with myself, it didn't change. I just started seeing truths in myself. But it was a wild ride, redefining what you thought you were. It's kind of cool. It's really cool. H and it's not only HRT, because yes, this started happening before I started hormones. Hormones made it really show, though. <laughs> it's a wild ride. It's a really wild ride. <laughs> Keep an HRT journal. Oh, by the way, I just um, a couple of days ago celebrated two years on hormones. Yay, me. Wonderful. All right, cool. So that was the awkward episode of me and my transsexuality. Well, it's not, it wasn't that saucy because I really don't have a sex life. <laughs> but yeah, Henry Cavill walking away, seeing him from behind. <laughs> okay, it just got creepy, sorry. But yeah. All right, tying that back to role playing games. As you know, if you listen to this, I like playing the drama, playing realistic, psychologically realistic characters in a way that makes it easy for myself to um, disappear into the character and forget I'm playing a game. I cry a lot because I like to play emotional characters and when emotional things happen to me and my character, I feel it and I cry. Uh, I spoke to Carl Victorine the other day. He was a guest star um, in, a, in the previous episode. He is the game master of the Westmark campaign, which gave me my middle name of Alfield. And he told me that one of the reasons he really loves playing role-playing games with me is that he gets a kick out of seeing his game mastering have a real emotional effect on his players. And he sees, like, and he sees me as an easy target because, well, I am. Um, but he just loves that he can he can give me a character and throw that character into a situation that should be emotional. And yes, it will be emotional because it's real to me. And I'm not the only player that's like this in the campaign. Uh, you don't have to play like this, obviously. Like like um, the player that plays Eli, the daughter of a witch, has a more subtle approach to role-playing, which makes a lot of sense for that character because Eli is mysterious. So you don't have to play like this. But me and Frida... Um, are two kind of players that just wear our emotions on our sleeve and when emotions hit us, we don't fight them, we ride with them and let them go. And we also, we're also very empathic, both me and her, and we tend to trigger each other. She sees me sad, she gets sad, then I see her sad and I get more sad, then she sees me get more sad, then she gets more sad. So the, the first time, like I said in episode two of this podcast, wow, that was a while ago, um... The first time we met, first time we played, we were crying our eyes out in each other's arms. And Carl just looked at us in delight. <laughs> like we just, you know, floodgates. And that was the first time we met and I wasn't even out then. So yes, playing with emotions, not playing with emotions, playing emotionally is wonderful. But I've, I've caught a snag just recently, something that's about to happen it's been brewing a lot. In the um, I've, I've done a few episodes where I speak um, the journal or the backstory of Aurelia or Evie, my paladin of friendship. Now, there's another character in that campaign who is an Asimar cleric of the Forge. And they've kind of hit it off. It's kind of a cute relationship between the two. And quite early, I realized that playing Aurelia, playing against this other character 
yeah, she has a crush on him. And when I play, I have a crush on the character. But but Aurelia is a is, is a paladin of friendship. She's an expert on friendship bonds. And she's completely lost when it comes to, you know, romantic love bonds. Uh, and she, she tried to parse it for, like, a lot of sessions. It's a long campaign, this. Um, and it's been an interesting thing growing. And, and, and Temidar, the guy, the Asimar, is just as oblivious, seems just as oblivious as Marius in Les Miserables. You know, he had, he, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it's a story, of, like a love triangle thing. Eponine loves Marius. Marius doesn't realize. Then he falls in love with Cassette. And he, like, hurts... Uh, Eponine without realizing because he's never realized that she loves him. Um, it's not an exact uh, metaphor, but... Um, and I don't actually know how oblivious Temidar is. I don't think he, he has to be. Otherwise, <laughs> his reactions lately have been cruel. Uh, we re- he, he started romancing an NPC that's going to travel with us for a week or two. And he did this right as Aurelia was pondering, um, professing her love to him in the next available moment, which was in a tavern. We're in a caravan right now. But at this tavern, he met this other person who is now running a romance with. And if he knew how Aurelia felt for him, doing that in front of her like that, right in front of her eyes, would be cruel. So I just have to assume that he is fairly oblivious. But there has been some other events happening, and Aurelia has talked to her old childhood friend Juniper, uh, you know you know who that is if you listen to the backstory. And uh, another uh, guy in the party, uh, they, they've all agreed that, yes, it's obvious that you love him. Just talk to him. Come on. So Temidar is the only one who hasn't realized, which is kind of cute. Um, but here's the snag. I am I'm usually able to drop my characters when I'm not playing. I can jump into them when I'm kind of rehearsing myself, like trying to rehearse their emotions to become good at, better at quickly getting into character. But I can drop the character and be myself whenever I want to, really, mostly. But it's, I've had a hard time doing that with Aurelia lately. Not that I'm stuck in the character, but because I am getting just as nervous as she is about the professing love part. Maybe, maybe because I am so inexperienced, it shouldn't be that, because I've acted people that, acted characters that aren't like me before. It could also be because um, love and romance can be seen as taboo in role-playing games. I don't think it's taboo. I think it's great. But it's, like, commonly known as taboo. So maybe I'm just worried that I'll be stepping on someone's role-playing toes when I act out a romance and make it awkward. Maybe that's why I'm nervous. I'm not sure. I'm guessing (laughs) I have already, like explained to myself right now what the answer is. Uh, I should have realized. I probably did, but it's, it's going to be an awkward conversation. should probably have that conversation out of game. Like, I know the player understands that Aurelia loves Temidar, um, but he doesn't know that she plans on telling him soon. I don't think it's going to be a problem because he does know about the emotions and he seems fine with that. I just don't know what the results will be of her professing her love. It could be a tragedy. He might reject her. Uh, or it might be a wonderful love story. We'll see. I think... Yeah, I, I, I've never been invested in the way that I actually kind of get nervous out of game. 
The only other time that happened was when Cassandra almost died. I was actually sh the uh, my character in another campaign. I've spoken about that in this part as well. Um, when I, I was sure she was dead, like something had happened, and I was sure there was no way to survive it. Eventually, like against all odds, Cassandra did survive. But yes, that was the other time I was very nervous about a role playing game. But well, that's more understandable. I thought my character was dead, and it was a it was a horrifically dramatic death scene. I loved it. And she's alive. I'm happy to still be playing her. But here it's more like I am actually romantically nervous about something a character is feeling, and that is interesting. That haven't doesn't really happen to me before, where I've had to kind of. I think I'm gonna have to get into character myself on my own and kind of play a solo session for myself alone and parse the character's thoughts in character so I can plan what I really would say. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to have to do. It's fantastic that I'm at this stage where I'm role-playing on my own just to for my character to have a moment on her own to think. But it works for me. I can enter my character whenever I want. Psychologically... Stop it, you gutter minds. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was me talking about romance and sex, and I am probably the least sexually experienced person in the universe. No, not quite, but close. Um, so, what do you think? Like, what are your experiences of romance in role-playing games? Have you ever actually had the process of playing while your character fell in love with someone, professing their love and having a romance blossom, or get rejected, like... Usually you plan these things out between sessions, but I kind of like the fact that it's been growing. I'm just so darn nervous. We'll see what happens. I'll make an episode about that. So, did you find my, um, my uh, sexual label rant, not a rant, uh, interesting? I think it's cool. I think, I think I'm right about that, experienced or no. Labels for sexual preferences are useless because sex is much more diverse and complex than I ever thought. So having two labels for sexual um, sexual preference and thinking that should cover every human being on the planet, come on, stop it. That's just super dumb. Anyway, <laughs> if, if you think that, I'm sorry for calling you super dumb. No, I'm not. You need to grow out of that. <laughs> I should stop right now before I say something even more offensive. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I love you. Good. Bye.